want to welcome everybody. Uh, thank you for those that are attending online. We're so glad you can join us. Um, if you are new here this morning, welcome. My name is Manny. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and what we do is we actually share uh, teaching, uh, kind of rotate teachers and have um, elders that teach different times. And we've been in Genesis. Um, and I just, I think this is really important this morning um, to kind of, uh, share something before we dive into Genesis 12. Um, is This comes from Ephesians 6, 12. And it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the dark, darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in the heavens. Listen, um, I don't know about you guys, but I am sensing and have experienced you know, a spiritual attack um, beyond what I could ever imagine. And this morning, I just want to pray for us that the Lord, man, would lavish us in his truth and his mercy um, before we jump into the word this morning. And so would you just join me, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, man, we thank you for who you are. God, we, we thank you that you take us, those that are crushed and humbled, those that are wrestling this morning um, when it comes to um, faith and identity, um, circumstances. God, thank you that you are gentle and lowly at heart, that you love us. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we could be here this morning. We pray for the children and the leaders that are investing in them, Lord. We pray that seeds that are planted in truth um, would prosper, Lord, that we, we would give you all the glory this morning, that your name would be made great, and that we can come and celebrate uh, what you've done through your son on the cross for us. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you. If you're coming in, go ahead and take a seat. Uh, listen, we've been in Genesis uh, for a little while, since the beginning of summer, um, and been just going, you know, section by section. Sometimes it's chapter by chapter. Sometimes it's like one line. Um, you know, we are kind of going into a new uh, season in our time in Genesis. And so the first um, 11 chapters, uh, by the way, spans over 2,000 years of existing time from creation to uh, the fall of man. Uh, we talked about the flood and God's involvement in that, um, and Noah, and then also, um, you know, the Tower of Babel um, and how God had intervened, and then also some um, disappointing things in, in regards to Noah's son and um, being cursed. And, and so a lot has happened for 2,000 years, those first 11 chapters. Now we're going to be jumping into chapter 12, basically, I think through 25, so 14, uh, 13 verses, or sorry, chapters, um, covers a span of about 25 years, okay? So go from 2,000 years to a small timeline in comparison um, of what's happening in Genesis. And what, what is, has been happening is God has been dealing with um, kind of humanity, the state of humanity for that, that first little bit. Um, and now he's going to be kind of actually learning, uh, leaning more into a family line and how he's going to accomplish um, certain things. And so uh, we could all acknowledge, if you've read Genesis 1 um, through 11 with us, or if you've ever read Genesis, usually that's where people start. If someone says, hey, I've never read the Bible, um, they're probably just going to open to the very first page. Um, and it's also probably one of the most disputed sections of the Bible from different areas of, of religion and um, worldview. Um, and so there's always an expert on 
those types of things, right? And so, uh, but we are going to be um, talking about how the earth had been a, a huge mess, okay? Humanity is a huge mess. We can all attest to that. That's actually true today in, in our, our world and on earth. It's been a, a huge mess. And, and one thing to know, uh, from the time of the flood uh, until this event happening in chapter 12 is a span of 400 years, okay? So that 2,000-year thing I was talking about from chapter 1 to 11, um, it was between the flood and um, God's call of Abram, which we'll talk about, uh, was about 400 years. And um, this, this section um, of calling Abram is God's big answer to the big problem of sin, okay? This is God's big answer to our big problem of sin and humanity, um, and is because nations and people were choosing not to acknowledge the one true God. They were making themselves God, actually, more than anything. They were also idol, idol worshipers, and actually we get to talk about that. But, um, you know, we're going to jump in, in ver- or sorry, chapter 12, and so let's go there. Chapter 12, verse 1. Um, we're just going to be covering uh, 1 through 9. I will, we, we're going to try to go chapter by chapter, and so um, really depending on who's teaching, they may have a little bit more emphasis on a certain section. I definitely encourage you to dive in a little bit more as, as there's actually about 10 more verses after uh, 9 uh, to look through. But we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit, lightly. Um, all right, so Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles um, in racks and, or underneath seats um, if you need one. And we'd love for you to have your eyes on the word if you can be there. All right, so if you notice the title on chapter 12, it says, The Call of Abram. Um, and I apologize, later on, Abram's name changed to Abraham, and so I might use them interchangeably. Don't email me, all right? Okay, <laughs> verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, whose name later changes to Sarah, so I might say that, um, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. All right, so we'll stop there. But really, the first question we should ask in this narrative is, well, who is Abram? We don't know much about him. Other than when you read the very end of chapter 11, it talks about how Abram was a descendant of Terah, um, and Terah is a descendant of Shem. And Shem is the, one of the sons of Noah. All right, so um, one of, the, one of the, the good sons, one of the blessed sons, okay? Ham made a mistake, dishonored his father, God cursed him, all right? And so leading up to chapter 12, there's a lot of things that God 
and says, like, your family will be cursed, these people will bless, and there's a lot of that going on. So if you go back, you'll, you'll see that. And so now we are to a place of blessing. But who is Abram? This is very interesting. Um, again, from Genesis, we know that Abram is the son of Terah, um, and that they're part of the line of Shem. And um, on other accounts, though, this is what we find out a little bit more about who Abram is. In Joshua 24, 1 through 2, um, Joshua actually talks a little bit more about um, who, who they are, and so I'm going to read that to you. Um, and if you don't know who Joshua is, Joshua was the leader of Israel, um, taking them to the promised land. And at the end of Joshua, Joshua is about to um, die and help people enter into Israel. And he is giving them their final charge. And he's reminding them of this one thing, okay? Is that what God had promised with Abram is about to continue, okay? He's about to say God is in control. So uh, Joshua reminds, reminds everyone, this is chapter 24, verse 1. You don't need to go there, but if you want a reference, it's Joshua 24, verse 1. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. Ooh. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the, all the land of Canaan and made, made his offspring many. Okay, so then he gives them this other line, Isaac and everyone else, and we'll leave that for someone else to teach on that. But you notice that Abram came from a line, a family line, where they were idol worshipers, actually worshipers of the moon. That was their main uh, God that they worshipped. And so uh, God uses someone like Abraham to, to bring on this next solution, the, the big solution to answer this big sin problem. He reaches them in a personal way. Now, the family that, that um, Abram comes from um, is, you know, the Chaldeans in, in, of Ur, okay? And they, not only were they idol worshipers, um, they actually were in a very comfortable and cushy spot. Um, it was a very advanced culture. Um, there architecturally, they had some of the best houses. Um, you know, they were living in the desert, but when it got really hot, um, they had figured out a way to, to live more comfortably. Um, and so Abram was called from a place of comfort. And then he was also called from a place of discomfort that culturally, uh, which was pretty normal in those times and, and still are in the ancient Near East, but uh, was, it was a very patriarchal culture, meaning you don't leave your family line. Like if you, if you decide to leave it, um, there's really no exception, okay? But he, the, the Lord had led him and his family out of that, taking him out of that comfort of um, that patriarchal line, um, which can be uncomfortable. And so that's, that's one thing that we know about Abram. And then another account actually comes from Acts in the New Testament, um, and this is Stephen's account of what's happening. It's in Acts 7, verse 2 through 4. Um, and again, Stephen, I believe it's Stephen. I hope it is. Sometimes you question yourself while you're up here. But Stephen is, is again reminding people, just like Joshua was, who is in charge? It's God. The one true God. Okay. And this is what Stephen says, and this is, Acts 7, 2 through 4. Mm -mm -mm. Sorry. My pages are sticking together today. 
Um, and it says, and Stephen said, good news, it was Stephen, okay? Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred, okay? Again, leave that family line and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Okay? So why do you think Joshua and Stephen are able to remind everyone about this? Because they knew it, right? I mean, this was, a, chapter 12 is a foundational piece where we lean on all other promises and prophecy that happened in the Old Testament of, of, of the coming king who is Christ. Okay, spoiler alert, it's, it's about Jesus. This is God's big plan for us to solve that big problem of sin. Um, and so, he, again, he, we're able to be reminded of how God is in control and how he had called Abraham to live out that purpose and that calling. Um, and, again, You'll notice uh, there's a few different variances, and we might be able to touch on it. Um, what was said in both Joshua and Acts, if I remember. But let's just look at, at verse 1, um, or actually, let's look at verse 2 uh, through 3, and it says, And I will make you of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, okay? Um, this, this is a, a really cool part. Back in um, chapter 13, or sorry, chapter 3, uh, verse 15, uh, where the fall of man happens, where um, Adam and Eve um, eat of the tree, um, and, or eat the, tr the fruit of the tree. Um, you know, God's not super happy about it, but um, this is what God says to the serpent that tempted Adam and Eve. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you, above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. And th this is God remembering the promise he already made, okay, about how, he, how he's going to solve this problem. He says, I will put enmity between you and the women and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel, okay? Uh, what that is talking about is this promise of how God is going to bring a new seed, a new family before all of us, okay? So we can continue to solve that big problem, okay? Um, and it's, it's on the account of the fall. But again, it says, I'm going to bring you a, a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Okay, you'll notice the differences between what is happening in uh, the prior chapters of, you know, 9 and 10, um, and even before that. Uh, when, Gain, when Cain had killed Abel, um, what did he do? He, he fled, and he made a new city. Do you know what he named his, his city? Enoch. What? Enoch. Enoch. And who is that after? After his own son, right? He makes his own city after his own son. He's, he's making his, his own name great, right? Uh, that, that was Cain's intention, or at least, you know, he was like, well, I got I to gotta have something, right? I just killed my brother, but... Um, and then, but then in, in Babel, remember they say, let us go make, let us build ourselves a city. And what God is saying is, I will make, 
I will make this happen, okay? We have to understand that we cannot make our own names great. That God is in control, okay? And then, and then he says, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I'll bless, those, I'll bless you um, so you can be a blessing to others, okay? Um, what is a blessing? What does it mean to be blessed, or what is a blessing? Favor, okay? Empowered to prosper. Anything else? Yeah, happy, right? It, ultimately, right, when, when someone says, well, hey, think, uh, we brought something for you, so, man, I'm so blessed, right? You, you've been shown favor, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but when it comes to this, it's, it's about God's blessing and how we have acceptance and approval. And we actually even have, um, or he is telling Abraham, hey, you're going to have my help. You're going to have my approval and you're going to have my help, which again, isn't something that you did because what was he? He was an idol worshiper. He was um, all these things. And there, there is a little bit um, of a gap that we, don't, we can't speak 100% into, but that God was already personally you know, working on Abram before you know, it wasn't just like he just appeared and then Abram went and did. It was, it was like a process, right? It was very relational. So Abram knew that God was saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you approval. I'm going to give you help. Okay? And, and Abram responds um, in this way. So God calls him. He says, hey, I want to show you something, okay? Um, he doesn't even actually promise him this. If you see in verse 2, um, yeah, he says, um, hey, come with me. I'm going to show you this land, okay? Abram has no idea where he's going at this point. He just, what does he do? He follows in obedience. He's obedient um, to go with him. And so, um, verse 4, it says, Abram went. And as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Um, imagine this, right? That you've been living for 75 years, and the Lord says, Hey, like, I have more for you. You're probably going to have a little bit of doubt. You're probably going to say, Well, you have no idea the things that I've done. But Abram is being obedient. Okay, and so he takes um, Sarai and then he takes Lot um, with him. And you notice uh, in that one spot, and it says, And the people are, excuse me, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, um, and they left uh, out of Haran. Um, in, in an Acts, uh, Stephen gives a good account about what happened to. Um, Abram's father, he, he had died in Haran, right? So there was this time period where um, Abram and them kind of hung out in Haran, okay? Um, and some would say that actually Abram w- was already being led by the Lord at that point to go to um, Canaan um, and to check it out, but it, they took a pit stop, um, and there's some fun debate about, like, well, was Abram already being disobedient, but God was being gracious with him? Um, as he was kind of in that season. And they, they were in Haran for about two years after they had left Ur already. Um, and so uh, they take, and that's why they kind of say they acquired all that they had, all the splendor from Haran, and they, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Um, this is right before verse 6. And it says, when they came to the land of Canaan, okay, um, 
Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak um, of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites excuse me, were in the land. So imagine being Abram. He's being told, hey, I, got, I have land for you. I have this place for you, uh, but it's already preoccupied. And so when you read later on, um, when Israel is, you know, going on their fun journey, um, Canaan is already preoccupied. And that scares people to death. It scares them to, to just actually not do anything. And they have to continue to go back to this passage about, remember the promises that God had laid before us. Remember that promise. And so this was Abram's you know, response is to act in obedience. Okay? And so when we act in obedience, remember this, that it does lead to blessing. But not, not the way we could sometimes interpret blessing, which is you know, a ton of abundance. It can be abundance. But it's not always abundance, right? It's acceptance. It's approval. Okay? It's help from the Lord. Help from when we are in distress. Help from when we are doubting. Okay? This is what God is doing. This was his great plan for us in, as we live in that great problem. Okay? Um, so obedience leads to blessing in God's favor when we, when we surrender that to him. Also, it can lead to a lot of good clarity. When Abram was obedient, God led him to this land, and Abram said, oh, okay, I, I think I see it, even though there's people preoccupying it, right? Even when there was a nation already there. That, For me, when I think about it, I would be a little confused. I would need like a clean slate. I'd need, you know, a blank canvas to be able to see that. But, but Abram's obedience led to clarity, okay, of God's promises. And I think it also can do a few other things that can give us clarity, which will help us live in uh, purpose, um, understand our, his life a little bit better, and it will give direction. Um, and as we go through this account of, of Abram and Sarah, um, again, in this act of faith in this journey, there are times when they don't see so clearly. Actually, just right after this little section, um, Abram already makes a big mistake, okay? Um, but Abram was obedient, and he has the opportunity to um, walk in that and gain some clarity, um, and he's giving clarity from the Lord. Now, continue to look at that. It says, um, Abram passed through the land of, at, to the place at Shechem um, and to the oaks of Moreh. At this time, the Canaanites were in the land, and then verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. And he hears that promise, and so he, he, right then and there, he builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, okay? Um, and what that is talking about is in his obedience, he reflects and responds in worship, right? He responds in worship. And we don't, you know, we don't really build altars anymore, do we? Like, we don't stack rocks or, you know, piles of wood and then light them on fire, um, at least in the act of worship, maybe Maybe we do barbecue. We, we barbecue, have some pyros out there, right? So, but um, we, don't, we don't respond in that way anymore, and, and we don't have to, uh, but this was the more active way um, to respond in that. And, and part of it, which, what I find really interesting, is that um, Abram knew that 
there were a lot of eyes on him. And what I mean by that, there were a lot of people watching. When it talks about how uh, at the time, um, you know, he was at the land at Shechem to the Oaks, like he was kind of squished between two pagan cultures uh, that were around, the Canaanites um, and the others to the east. And you know what he did? He worshiped the one and true and living God, okay? He could have been like, well, there are people watching me. Uh, but he, he was making a declaration right then and there, and he built an altar and worshiped before him. And so um, verse 8 says, from there he moved to the hill country on the east. Um, he, was getting, he was getting prepared, right? He said, well, I can't occupy this land yet, um, but I see what God has promised. Um, and it says they went and pitched his tent. Um, and then with Bethel on the west and I on the, on the east, um, those are significant later on as we break down um, what's happening uh, later on, um, but keep I and Bethel um, in mind. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. As it, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Okay, so uh, Abram and Sarai have taken on this journey, okay, in obedience. Um, and not only does he worship one time, out of obedience. Uh, He worships a second time. And again, it was because the world was watching and he built an altar to say, God, I'm I'm surrendering to you. And that was pretty uncommon because again, the world was a mess. People were not acknowledging the one true God. Um, And I mean, I would say that's pretty common even to today, unfortunately, right? And we we have an opportunity um, to, to build an altar, you know, symbolically, um, in the way that we live, in the way we surrender to God's promises. And even today, I think that chapter 12 can be super encouraging to all of us. Oh, thanks, Brother Lee. Appreciate it. Um, but everyone turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Actually, I'll just, I'll read through verse 1 through 6 from 2 Corinthians. It says, Therefore, having the ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for, the sake, and for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let your light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what this is talking about, you know, is again, we are just supposed to be trusting God, that we trust that Christ came and that we, we can give that to him. And, and there are some of you that, that struggle with that, right? There are some of us here that sometimes we think that we have to take on the sins of the world. Good news. That is the good news, that we don't have to. And that is what Abram actually is doing. He's saying, I no longer have to take on 
the sins of the world. I actually don't even have to take on the sins of my past. I don't have to take that on anymore. And Paul is kind enough to remind you know, the church in Corinth about that as well, that we get to be the light of the gospel today. But sometimes, listen, us as, as followers of Jesus, if you're here, if you follow Jesus, we're going to have to step it up in the sense of that, that we don't have the opportunity to live in despair. We sometimes act like the gospel doesn't exist for us today. And that's, that's dangerous. That's where the enemy sinks in, right? When we, when we surrender that and we say, well, we, don't, we can't be light anymore because of the sins of our past or the sins of yesterday. There's a lot of stuff being tossed around right now. Um, unfortunately, you know, we have great influencers in our lives that are faithful believers, and some have fallen short, right? Some have made terrible mistakes. Some of them have even renounced their faith. And that, I mean, that can grieve us all, right? I remember when I was young, my mom, you know, followed this famous pastor that was probably a televangelist now, but like, you know, they fell to sin. And she, she grieved that. That was like really hard for her. I didn't understand it because, but then, you know, those things are actually coming to, to light now. Different stories of different pastors that have, that have tried to make their name great when it's about Christ. And so God is, is making this promise before Abram, and it still stands true today, that he is making a great nation. He's pulling everything together. But that can be, that can be far, hard for us sometimes. And, and, and again, that's why it takes great faith. It takes faith for us to, to walk in this. And, and you'll notice in, in this, this story, okay, with Sarah and Abram, and, you know, I didn't get to highlight Sarah, but, but she does some amazing things, too, of, of acting in faith, and we can't wait to highlight some of those. Um, but that, that this is a series of steps of obedience and a, a series of um, really challenging times and mistakes, um, where God continues to say, uh, well, I am here to, to make my name great, to, for me to have the glory and not you. And so even your small mistakes or your big mistakes, um, I'm going to overcome those, right? I'm going to overcome those things. But we get caught up on, you know, just that little moment. Remember how long it took for us to get here? You know, over 2,000 years of, of what was happening in Scripture. And then, you know, um, another 25 years for Abram uh, and his family line to continue. And so there's just a lot going on. But it, this is a story of obedience and faith um, and saying that, you know, there is no failure that is permanent. There's no failure that is permanent in God's eyes, right? And there's no test that is impossible because he's the one that's making it happen. Now, um, Abraham and Sarai make a journey, okay? They, they, again, it says that they pitch their tents. Does anyone have a, a version that may say something different right there? When it says they pitch their tents. Uh, 
Huh? They set up camp, right? Okay. Um, and what that what that was just describing, right, is that they they are they're journeymen. They're they're journeying everywhere. They're not anywhere permanent. I don't know about you, but I love camping. But after like day three, I'm hung, I'm I'm hungry. Well, I eat really good when I camp, but sometimes I want different food, right? I'm I'm no longer comfortable. Okay. I'm I'm my tent is dirty. Um, you know, all, all these things, right? But that, that's three days. This is a huge journey, and they are getting ready for that. Um, and um, if you go after verse 9, it talks about how Abram and Sarah, um, there was a huge famine in the land. So in Canaan, where, or kind of outside of Canaan where they were staying, uh, there was a famine. And so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. So they continued to, to journey on, um, and for the, uh, for the famine was severe in the land, in verse 11, it says, when, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill, they will kill me, but they will let you live. Um, so say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spread for your sake, or spared, excuse me, for your sake. When Abram centered, or gosh, centered. How'd that happen? Dude, guys, I have a spelling error. Entered. Um, entered Egypt. The Egyptians saw that the, women was, the, women was, the woman was very beautiful. And when the prince, princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now when then here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Okay, here's what's happening, okay? Basically, um, Abram really messes up, okay? He, he, basically, he, he doesn't trust God. Okay, so right before, he does trust God, right? He, he lays down, he says, God, I, I, like, I love you. I, I have these altars before you. I'm going to be a great light, and I'm going to shine for you. And then the very next event, he basically betrays God's promise, and he you know, gives his wife away to Pharaoh. But guess what happens? God still holds his promise because he says, I will curse those that come after you, that try to get you. The real word is says, anyone that dishonors you, I will curse them. All right, so this is God just showing his faithful, like, faithfulness right away, his promise right away. Now, there's a lot we can unpack there, uh, but because we're trying to go, you know, a little bit faster in Genesis, you know, we're not, we're not going to unpack very much. But one thing we can definitely notice is that Abraham screwed up and God was still faithful. And it's, it's going to happen again, okay? So it's, it's pretty repetitive. Uh, in, in a good way, though. It's a good reminder to us. And he's faithful to Sarah, and, he, and he's also faithful to his promise, okay? Because what God could have done is like, dude, you, you done messed up, man, okay? You messed up, and I'm not going to hold to that promise. But that's not who God is, right? That is not the character who God is. And so that's why I wanted to, to share that one. Um, I know that we kind of skipped through it, but everyone open your Bibles to... Um, Hebrews chapter 11, 
verse 8. And John and Sam, you guys can kind of come up, or already come up. Hebrews 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 8. Pay attention to this first word, or second word, really. By faith, okay? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Okay, verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob's heirs, with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has, a foundation, has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Okay? And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Okay, listen, that was, that's talking about how God had promised an inheritance of people. Okay, I'm going to make my, your name great for the nations, for the people that come to know me. Okay, and I have a feeling we'll come back to Hebrews 11:8. You might as well just put a little marker there. Okay, um, but it, again, it's a by faith, right? that we can lean on God's promises. And sometimes that can be really challenging, right, on, the, on the, this journey that we call life. And if, if you think back, you know, there are different seasons in your life you say, man, I remember that. That was super painful. That was really hard. Or that made me really question and doubt. God is not mad about those doubts. Or we say, well, man, I really... I messed up over here. God is not worried about that. And so we get to hang on that, that chapter and verse in uh, 12 about what God was doing there. And um, that, I don't know about you, but that really excites me because um, sometimes it, it can be worrisome where we are in, in these days, right? These trials that we all experience and the trials that we face and that we're going to continue to face as followers of Jesus. It's not going to get easier, right? And you notice that God never said, hey, these blessings, it's all going to be an abundance of happiness, okay? But there's a, big, there's a bigger thing here. That he's doing a bigger thing for us. And so as we continue to unpack um, Genesis, you know, chapter 13, 14, 15, and so on. Um, we're going to keep going back to this promise. Because it's a, again, it's a big answer to a big problem. And as we re respond in worship, I'll come back up here and, and close this out, but um, what I would love for us to think about is, is why would God, you know, be so kind and, and caring to let us um, go through some of these trials, right? We went through uh, James where 
Um, sometimes it hit us like a rock when, when we were trying to endure trials, when we were talking about enduring them because of his promises for us, because he cares for us. And you may be sitting in that chair and thinking, man, I don't really know the, the plan that he has for, for me in my life. And I think, I think his plan is, again, to, to, for us to lean on him and what he has for you. But our minds, because we're, we're squirrely and we're fleshly, like we, like to, we like to think about what we can make great. We like to think about what we can control. But I, like before, I think God is, is asking us to walk in obedience, to trust his promise for us, what he has in store for you, and what he has in store for, you know, the church here in, in this building. And I'll just be the first one to say, I don't know. We don't know, but we are going to continue to walk in faith. And so Abram is, and Sarah are a great example of that, walking in that faith. So as we worship, you know, reflect on, you know, what has God been telling you and sharing with you about how you should be obedient, where you need to be obedient? How does that correlate with what his word says? How does that line up with who, who's God, who is God? his true character not what we just think or what our opinions are but what does his word say and so I just want to invite you to stand um, with us and just continue to reflect on those things as we worship and I'll come back up here um, and close us with more response we may be asking like what, what does this have to do with the end story right and it has to do with the good news. Now, it can be challenging for us because we didn't live in those days or, and we were not part of a, you know, a line of understanding like, you know, who Abram was. But there, there are a few, and one of them is Mary, right? And it leads up to this time a lot later of all these promises and these prophecies that were being made and an angel named Gabriel approaches Mary and says, Greetings, favored woman, or blessed. And it says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. We may not notice the significance, but, but when God is talking about, you know, blessing the nations. It's through his son, Jesus, for, for us. And that brings great hope. Remember, we are, we are people that do not, we live with hope. We do not live without it. 
because of what Christ did on the cross for us. Again, that he takes our weariness, he takes the things that, that we cannot hold, right? And if you can imagine, Mary, Mary knew exactly what this angel was talking about because of this promise that was made from Genesis 12. And she, too, had to act in obedience and act in faith. And that's what we get to celebrate, is that God had sent his son so that we could have eternal life with him. And that's why it's significant that we are in, in Genesis, because we are, tr- we are trying to gain more understanding of who God is. And as we worship and we reflect... You know, God wants to point us back to Jesus. And as we um, respond in worship, if you're new, we, we take communion um, on the sides of the crosses. Um, and if you, call your, if you say that you believe in Christ, we want to invite you to that. Um, remembering him uh, through his body that suffered and the blood that was shed for our sins. Um, we'd love to be praying with you. Uh, Johnny's over here. Um, I'll be over by the prayer room door. We'd love to be praying with you. And there are ways to respond through uh, giving joyfully as an act of worship. I'm saying, God, like I surrender and give my first fruits to you and to your house to carry that message of hope. Or maybe you just need to to sit silently and reflect on, on the words that we're singing saying, God, help me in my unbelief. Let's continue to worship together and let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you had a master plan to solve a big problem. Lord, we know we are broken, but you make us whole, Father. And I pray for anyone here that needs to, to be made complete and whole, that they would come to you, that they would surrender their life to you, Father. Lord, we know we can't do this perfectly, but we thank you that you are merciful and gracious. And I pray as we worship that we would, we would encounter your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would continue to speak to us and show us the desires of your heart, Father. Let's continue to worship.